Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and I have a riddle for you today. Here it is. What do Jessica Alba, Jennifer Garner, Emmy Rossum, and Chelsea Handler have in common with me, Elliot Berlin? I know, it's a tough one. The answer is today's guest. She's a celebrity health coach, certified holistic nutritionist, and wellness expert. She combines her passion for health and the science of nutrition with a practical and optimistic approach to help her clients improve their health, achieve their goals, and develop sustainable habits to live a healthy and balanced life. She's the best-selling author of Body Love, and look out for her second book, Body Love Every Day. Kelly Levesque, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh my goodness. I'm I'm starstruck. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Your book, In My House, You're a Celebrity. <clears throat> <laughs> Your book, Body Love, blew me away. I, I've read several books on nutrition, and I've struggled with insatiable food obsession my whole life. I feel like I've tried every diet ever invented, and I always end up back in the same place. And I'd pretty much given up on ever being able to make good food choices, feeling satisfied after eating, and getting my health under control until I met you and read my little Bible here, Body Love. I have to say right now at the top of the show, usually I have to say, make a little disclaimer and say this company is a sponsor of informed pregnancy. It's the opposite. I would say this is not a sponsor of informed pregnancy because it's going to sound a lot like a sponsored podcast. In just a couple of weeks, the suggestions that you made in your book have made incredibly rewarding changes in my life and in my health, and I did not think they were possible. Time will tell where this journey takes me, but I feel very hopeful very excited and satiated throughout the day, and those are new and wonderful feelings for me. By the end of this episode, you all listening at home are going to see why I'm so jazzed up about Kelly Levesque and body love. Let's start at the beginning, though. Um, it's a crowded world of nutritionists out there and wellness experts, and you stand out. So how did you get started? And it's just been a very short time since you've built this lifestyle brand and attracted a very impressive following. Where did it all come from? Well, I think it came from my love of health and nutrition that um, really started in high school. I took health uh, as my science course in high school and loved it. Like it spurred excitement in going to Barnes and Noble and getting 
Atkins in South Beach when I was 15 and 16 years old, which is a little bit sound, might sound a little bit crazy to people out there. Um, but I just loved the science. I loved understanding the biology of the body and how the food we were eating interacts with our bodies. And um, yeah, so it, I would were, say. Were you trying to lose weight or you were just studying food um, science? Well, I would say in junior high, my mom always said, you grow out before you grow up, right? Like, so you get pudgy and then you have a growth spurt oh, and that's maybe normal. maybe I'll grow up at some point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was something that at a young age for me, um, I just thought that was like part of the process. And my younger sisters had sort of my mom's genes, which were, you know, very skinny and didn't have to really worry about it. And I sort of had my dad's genes and, and that side of the family, which was more... Uh, the type of family that side had to worry about it. Mm -hmm. So um, I played soccer. I was really active. I mean, my mom made dinner every night. It might have been like chicken, rice, and broccoli. But she also was the mom who made chicken Alfredo. And we had every Costco snack. And <laughs> I definitely felt at times addicted to food. So when I would read these books and learn what to do, I was using it not only to like feel my best and look my best, but also just to learn. But it was never anything at that age that I could stick to for more than like two days. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to read the Atkins book while I eat these goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny because I grew up in a house where obesity runs in my family. And I think my parents were worried about it. So we grew up with like Weight Watchers apple snacks, the little dried snacks. Yep. That um, you can't trade for anything in yeah. school. <laughs> There's no, no tradability there. Um, was not active really at all. I didn't play sports that much until high school, and I didn't um, really watch sports. I remember running one time because uh, I missed the ice cream truck, and I had to, like, <laughs> catch up to it, and I ran two blocks. Um, but that's, you know, that was my childhood. Yeah. Um, yours sounds a lot more healthy in general. <laughs> and I didn't start reading Atkins and South Beach and those things until I was, like, 30. Yeah. No, it started young, and it's... It's interesting because most of my friends were probably reading Cosmo or whatever else you read in, you know, magazine style reading in high school. But I just really loved it. I'm surprised I was not reading like Epicurean and yeah. other food <laughs> magazines because that's all I thought about all day. Um, all right. I don't want to waste any time. You studied nutrition, clinical nutrition at UCLA and UC Berkeley. How is clinical nutrition different than dietitian? What's the difference between them? Yeah, so a dietitian is a postgraduate degree, and they go back to school for two years, and they take a board exam. And for me, I had this was actually this is actually my second career. So I had an eight year career in cancer and genetics, where every single day I was looking at PubMed research, research articles in um, you know chemotherapy agents and tumor growth, uh, genetics, and so for me. Being that I would, one, have to, like, pay for that postgraduate degree, and my husband already had law school student loans, um, and two, just knowing that I was really working with the best and most current information in my job, I didn't really want to go back and learn antiquated old studies that weren't up to date. And so I opted to do clinical, which meant that I did all my pre-med science courses and I took um, nutrition courses enough credits to sit for a clinical exam. So I'm a clinical nutritionist. I see. How, but then you also studied, 
you holistic. Became, yeah, you became an integrative. You studied integrative nutrition. Yeah, so so I did a health coaching degree um, through like a health co- coaching school that was a year long program. Um, so I really just went out and said, where am I going to get the best information? What do I think is current? What do I think is applicable? So I got to pick and choose my courses versus being in a two year course. Where you're forced through you're, a rigid program? Yeah, forced through sort of a program. So like some of my favorite classes, one that I'll never forget was Food, Mood, and Behavior at UCLA, oh, which wow. it was really interesting to me because, you know, food is our first drug. It's like, you know, there's no off button for cookies and cream, carnation mm. ice cream, to me, in my opinion. Like if there's a gallon in front of me, I don't know very many. There's a lot of maybe really controlling nutritionists and health coaches out there that are like, oh, I just spoon out whatever. Oh, like, like I start and yeah. I'm like, there's no off button there. And I want to understand chemically what's happening so that I can help other people because you can't just have self-control and white knuckle it forever. I never look, but I always assume the serving size on any container of ice cream is one. Yeah. <laughs> one container. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it was my second career and I felt like if I wanted to understand what was really happening in the nutrition space, I already was equipped with eight years of knowledge of how to understand and decipher that research on my own. Okay, so you studied clinical nutrition undergraduate, sat for the exam, studied integrative nutrition postgraduate, and then you also became a yoga instructor and personal trainer. Yeah, this is when I thought I needed all the certificates. <laughs> was it all? I mean, you were you were on this cancer research path. Was there part of you thinking, I'm going to break off from that, or is this hobby? Um, it's kind of twofold. So when I was a Branlin, my, my, that was my maiden name and my parents had three girls and you knew the minute you graduated, you were, uh, cut off financially. So, oh really? That's so, so part of your, so it's part training. of like, grow this is up. the party when you graduate, you're <laughs> yeah, cut off. Um, exactly. So, um, what's cool about cancer and genetics and what was cool about that career is that it was stable it was um, new technology. It was awesome companies. Um, but I didn't have to be an entrepreneur or be an hourly employee. But I always, always, always wanted to have my own business. I always wanted to help people. And so it was safe for me to move into cancer and genetics under a company and, and kind of have that safety net of a 401k and a W-2, things like that. Corporate but, benefits. Yeah, corporate benefits. And then once you get a little bit of you know, a few years under your belt working, you realize I could do this by myself. Like I could build a business by myself and I feel like I have the work ethic and the drive and I have something different to to offer people and I'm going to just try. So I side hustled Be Well, Be well by Kelly for three years. Oh, while you were working? While I was working in cancer and genetics. Oh, wow. So nights, weekends, um, lunch breaks. Health coaching, nutrition training, teaching yoga and personal training? Or yeah, so I was – I um, the personal training I only did with like less than half a dozen clients and realized pretty quickly that I loved working out and I loved doing yoga, but it wasn't where I excelled. And I really excelled in deciphering nutrition information and being able to give people the tools to be successful in their own life in that space more mm-hmm. than anywhere else. Um, I taught core power yoga which is like a studio here in L.A. or a chain. Um, I taught a sculpt class there for about six months. It was about the same with training. It was about a six-month period of time where I wanted to be everything to my clients. Here's a food plan. Here, let's talk about, you know, what you've eaten this week or what are our goals this week and let me train you and teach you yoga. Wow. It just – 
This is not, I'm not joking. Oftentimes <laughs> I make jokes, but I literally, when I was looking for something to do as like a hobby, I took cake decorating. <laughs> That's amazing. And we had to make all these cakes because we had to try all these decorations. I yeah. did it with my wife. Did you go to Duff's? Um, no, this is way before Duff was uh, a thing. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, she wanted to do ice skating, and I'm like, how about cake decorating? Perfect. So we ended up doing both, but. That's awesome. I'm not pretty on ice skates. Um, okay. Part of what I'm about to say comes from your book. It's not what you wrote necessarily, but it inspired me to think this way. I think that like all the other animals on the planet, we're born with a very complex, hardwired programming, and it's designed to keep us healthy both inside and out. When we're in tune with that innate intelligence inside us and when we respond to our instincts, we make choices and take actions that keep us alive, for one thing, but also strong and healthy, number two. So by way of example, if you watch other animals give birth, and there's tons of them on YouTube... It's quite stunning what they do. Um, Typically, there's no partner with them. They don't have a doula, nurse, midwife, doctor. They don't read books. They never see a prenatal chiropractor. They don't take classes. They don't take workshops. They don't listen to a podcast or watch a documentary. But somehow, when they're giving birth, they seem to know exactly what to do while they're in labor. And then they deliver their babies, and they turn around, and they start caring for them, all the newborn care, with, with no help. I think that um, humans, we also have that hardwired instruction as well, but we also have a newer part of the brain, the neocortex, where we can store more educated intelligence, things that we're told, things that we learn, things that we read or watch. And it's information that we can analyze and process and make decisions about. And sometimes this feature works in our favor, but sometimes it also works against us by clouding those innate intelligence instructions to the point that we become out of touch with our natural survival instincts. When it comes to birth, that's what sort of kind of created a field of all these adjunctive professionals that help people give birth or help people try to get back in touch with those instincts um, during pregnancy, during labor, and beyond. Inherently, I think our bodies know and tell us what nutrients we need to consume. And if we were in touch with our food instincts, we'd be more likely to naturally eat a variety of natural foods in quantities and combinations that make us feel satisfied and provide the building blocks that we need to be strong and healthy inside and out. But many of us aren't in touch with those instincts. They've been obscured by noise in the neocortex that's constantly marketed to both overtly and subconsciously with commercials and billboards and pop-up ads and packaging imagery and product placements influencing our decisions on what to eat. And to make things even worse, food has been processed and formulated specifically to appeal to the animal instincts in our bodies that make us crave more of them even when they're bad for us. This has led to a devastating health consequence in a nation that's largely out of touch with food instincts and riddled with chronic health problems. We find ourselves in a time where we have to train our educated intelligence to understand rationally what the body wants and to think about consciously and execute those choices until we can get back in touch with our natural instincts. But it's hard for the average person to do this because it's pretty complex. Well, along comes Kelly Levesque. <laughs> and you're you're interesting in a million ways. You're very easy to talk to. You look like the girl next door, whoever she is. But you know science like Dr. Bob, who is my chiropractic biochemistry professor, who I was really impressed with because of his very complex knowledge of biochemistry. Every 
nutrient and how it's broken down, the whatever dozen steps of sugar glucose metabolism. Every step of the way, he can tell you what happens and what the byproducts are. I mean, almost by heart, literally off the back of his hand. Um, and as much as I loved and respected Dr. Bob, he had two problems. One is he could really not talk down to people who were not on that scientific level. And number two, there was no practical use for that information. It was just like, this is what happens. And so I thought it was pretty boring. Um, so the fact that you're a serious science geek but don't look like one or talk like one um, is a little disarming. You've done extensive training, research, and experimentation with biochemistry, with how our body reacts to various nutrients and ingredients in food, and how they affect our satiety, hunger, health, mood, and longevity. Then you break it down into these very understandable, very digestible, pun sort of intended, and practical concepts that anyone can incorporate with a few simple changes and turn us into fat-burning machines. You reduce and eliminate cravings, lower inflammation, and help the body heal itself. And you, like you said, medicine is our first drug. But you've turned around and you've made food medicine that we can use in a very positive and healthy way. Um, the heart of your program is called the Fab Four, the Fab Four Lifestyle. Explain what that is and, and help us understand some of the basic science behind it. Sure. Um, so what I wanted to create was a light structure program that was positively reinforcing for people when they sat down to eat. And the Fab Four includes four things, protein, fat, fiber and greens. It's very inclusive. So whether someone is keto or paleo or vegan or vegetarian, they can fall into the Fab Four and find sources of protein, fat, fiber, and greens that they can put on their plate. And all it was trying to do was get people out of their own way. So by eating the Fab Four, you regulate over eight hunger hormones in the body which is really nice because it is one thing to get up from a meal feeling satisfied but not stuffed like a Thanksgiving turkey. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also a blood sugar elongating. So I wanted these components to last in your body. That's what I mean by that. If it's elongating your blood sugar curve, you're not spiking and crashing and hungry 90 minutes later. You're feeling those natural hunger cues happen maybe four to six hours later, depending on what you ate. And you say that so simply that it sounds almost like a gimmick. Fab <laughs> four sounds very catchy. Yeah. You know, and it just sounds like, oh, eight hunger hormones, food hormones. But the science is there. Yeah. And when you talk about elongating blood sugar, it's kind of so simple but but so brilliant how it affects the body, right? So what do you mean by that? If I eat anything... Yeah. Well, so you have um, three different macronutrients, uh, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And whenever, you know, when we look at old science and we look at maybe what I like to call a trainer diet or when someone tells you to eat five to six small meals a day, mm -hmm. right? What they're doing. That's been very popular It's for so a few years popular. Now. And everyone says, you need to, you know, start your metabolism and you need to wake up and you have a meal and then you have, so that's breakfast, and then three hours later have a snack, and three hours later have lunch, and three hours later have a snack, and three hours later have dinner. And that's a lot of eating. Mm -hmm. um, but they're doing that for a couple of reasons. Uh, they want you to keep your portions small and your calories small, but really what they're doing is they're keeping you from crashing because on average your blood sugar spikes and crashes three hours later. And that's for mixed macronutrient meals where – they're accounting for more starchy carbohydrates, and they're just keeping you from feeling like junk three hours later. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, it's okay. You just had a small breakfast of eggs and toast at you know 6 a.m. Well, at 9 a.m., here's an apple or here's a yogurt. 
then you're spiking back up again and crashing down. But it's okay. Lunch is coming. So when you when you say spike and crash, those those nutrients that I eat, the carbohydrates in particular, right? Yes, carbohydrates. My body's going to break it down, and sugar's going to start rushing into my bloodstream. Yeah, I always use the example of emojis. So say for example, <laughs> you add toast and eggs for breakfast. Well, what are eggs? Eggs are protein and fat. They're not going to break down to blood sugar. But toast is a carbohydrate, so it breaks down to blood sugar. So I always explain to my clients, imagine yourself eating the toast. And then picture the toast digesting in your stomach. And then picture little toast emojis floating in your bloodstream Mm -hmm. because that's where it goes. And that's your blood sugar going up. And what happens is a biological process where your body goes, oh, shoot, our blood sugar is getting too high. Release insulin. And insulin is the hormone um, that picks up that toast and puts it away. And so you have storage spaces for toast. A little bit can go in your liver. The next goes into your muscles. The next storage tank, which are the fuel tanks, right? Liver is where you store fuel, sugar as fuel. And then muscles, you store sugar as fuel. And that's called carbo-loading. So for any athletes out there, when they were eating pasta before a soccer oh, before game the race, yeah. or whatever before a race, they were carbo-loading. They were putting that pasta into their muscle tank so they could use it for their workout. But the problem becomes um, your blood sugar on average goes up for 90 minutes and then about 90 minutes it starts to crash down and it's coming down and coming down doesn't feel so hot. We have more insulin and less sugar. Mm-hmm. We're putting the sugar away and our body's going, mm, you know what I could really go for? Some more crackers. sugar. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's not a good feeling. And so it's so always so funny when I sit down with clients I ask them, have you, you know, do you know how to balance your blood sugar? And it's sort of a trick question because they're like, oh, yeah. Most of the time they just say add almond butter to something. Uh-huh. You know? um, but really, you're not balancing at all anything like it's you're you're eating carbs. Your blood sugar is going up and the hormone insulin is putting it away for you. You're really you're really not in control of that. But by eating you know, slower carbs or really focusing on all the things that don't break down to sugar very quickly at all, like vegetables and fiber, Mm -hmm. fiber and greens, then you're not really riding Montezuma's revenge roller coaster up and crashing down. You're, you have this low flowing blood sugar that gives you clarity, that doesn't have you crashing and craving and really allows for you to feel fueled instead of anxious, nervous, hungry, and thinking about your next meal too soon. When you talk about that and you say spike, crash, crave, spike, crash, crave, I just go back and think about all the times that I'm craving something and it's an animalistic drive. It's not like my brain is saying, my conscious brain is saying, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And my animalistic drive on the inside is like checking the fridge every five minutes, looking in the pantry every five minutes, you know, thinking about today's day and age, like, what is it going to be Postmates, DoorDash, Grubhub, or Instacart? Uber Eats. Uber Eats. Thank you. <laughs> like, I could just, I could have it brought to me. What do we yeah. need? And we, and you just order way too much, and then it comes, and you gobble, 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 until yeah. you can't breathe, and then you actually feel okay for a few minutes, <laughs> yeah. right? A little bit. I and get an hour and a half out of it. <laughs> your blood sugar spikes, and then the insulin spikes, blood sugar crashes, and then that animalistic drive for more food comes back. It's like my whole life. Yeah. And as I read about it in the book, I, I can just picture all the times that would happen. Um, and so with the Fab Four, you're having less less of those carbohydrates. You're having protein, fat fiber and green leafy vegetables. So there is some carbohydrate built into that. Right. So what I'm what I am focusing on are the carbohydrates that are high in fiber. So when people ask me, okay, so 
I get the protein. I know what I can have for protein. Maybe I have eggs. Maybe I have chicken, you know, fish, whatever. I get the fat, avocado, olive oil, whatever. What is the fiber piece? And, you know, we can talk about the smoothie in a little bit, but the fiber piece can be like chia, flax, and seeds, certain types of high-fiber seeds. But really what I'm talking about is non-starchy vegetables like cucumber, broccoli, asparagus. You can have a whole cup of broccoli, which is six grams of carbohydrates, and it has four grams of fiber in it. So we always kind of to understand what ends up or like the quick and easy cheat of what ends up as blood sugar is net carbohydrates. So we take six minus four. Well, you're only getting two broccoli emojis in your bloodstream, Mm. right? Versus... Uh, you know, a huge cup of rice is 100 grams of carbohydrates and one gram of fiber. So you can have, you know, okay. so many cups of broccoli for one cup of rice. Right. Because that rice insane. is so much blood sugar for the small payoff of fiber. Right. And I'm not saying that anything is bad. Right. I just want people to understand what is the baseline? What should I be looking to put on my plate first to turn off hunger hormones and feel good? Um, but we want those things that are higher in fiber because that means that less of them will end up as a blood sugar spike. And then leafy greens, that's just a great way to get vitamin K. It's a great way to get um, a sulfur-based sugar that feeds probiotic bacteria. So these are the micronutrients. It's getting you, yeah, it's getting you those, all the fiber and, well, all of the components, like depending, let's say that you had, um, you had, Salmon, you're going to get omega-3, which is essential fatty acid. You're going to get vitamin D. Um, Let's say that you had avocado. You're going to get vitamin E. You're going to get fiber. Um, And then you pick some, maybe some broccoli and some spinach or arugula. You're getting you're getting those vitamins and minerals, which are the micronutrients. So you're really just, you're focusing on the nutrient-dense foods that turn off hunger and last long in your body. You're not advocating for cutting out an entire food group. No, I'm I'm married to Be Bad by Chris. Where's <laughs> <That, laughs> on Instagram? <laughs> yes. Like the man literally brings home pizza, ice cream, he's, he samples all the IPAs at Whole Foods. <laughs> like no, that's not the life I want to live and I don't want I don't also want my children to have, you know, I think about this little human growing inside of me and I don't want Kelly's pregnant. Yeah, surprise. (laughs) I don't want my child to have food issues either because I think, you know, people treat food like it's religion. They They are so committed to whatever lifestyle they think is the best. And, you know, the science, not that it's changing, but we're learning more and more and more. And if you can eat simply and put real foods on your plate, I think that you should be able to have a brownie on your birthday and just understand, okay, I might, I'm, willing to get on the roller coaster today because it's my birthday and when's the best time for me to have it? Maybe at night. So when I'm crashing down, I'm sleeping already mm-hmm. or. Oh, let's talk about that a little bit because you talk about sort of like the the eating window and the fasting window mm-hmm. um, and how it's a good idea to expand your fasting window in a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, it, you know, people are talking a lot more about intermittent fasting in general, Um but I just think definitely trying to maintain 12 hours of fasting from dinner to breakfast is always recommended because it allows for your body to process all of the food that you have to bring blood sugar down, to cleanse. Um, there's a process called the glymphatic system, which is 
basically a cleansing system for the brain that prevents amyloid plaque buildup and keeps us sharp and young. And, you know, we all want to live to be 100 and whatever, but we also want to be functional and have our brain working when we get there. So taking time to like fast also helps you balance your hunger hormones. So when people don't, you know, eat late at night and then have a poor night's sleep, they're going to wake up and they're going to have about a 25% increase in the hunger hormone ghrelin, a 15% decrease in leptin, which is, which is the, you know, a hunger hormone that comes from your fat cells that says we're full. And if that signal is broken, it's really hard because you have, I, I like to think about that kid's movie Inside Out. There are eight people up there screaming at you like, eat something. No, we're full. We're fine. No, we're starving. We want sugar. And if we can get all those guys on the same page and calm and relaxed, it's it happens when we have a good period of time to fast between dinner and breakfast and when they've all had a really good night's sleep. And, and so but during that fasting window, you become more fat burning. Absolutely. Because you're not eating any sugar. Right. So you don't have the presence of insulin. So one of the things that people forget to understand or maybe don't understand is that insulin has a hard time clearing from your bloodstream. So let's say that you did have like a really starchy carbohydrate and Chris brought home beer and pizza (laughs) and I had that for dinner. What I imagine is beer and pizza emojis floating in my bloodstream and looking for a place to store. And insulin is released to pick all that stuff up and put it in my liver and my muscles. And if there's no space left in my liver and there's no space left in my muscles, Uh the last tank is the trunk, right? It's not a gas or a fuel tank. It goes to the fat cells, right? But not only that, insulin prevents fat burning. It's this hunger hormone, or it's not a hunger hormone. It's a fat storage hormone that makes us crave carbohydrates and sugar. And it can last for six to eight hours. So let's say, for example, I had that pizza and beer at eight o'clock at night. Then I count forward, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 2 a.m. is six hours, 3, 4 a.m. is eight hours. So I may or may not be burning fat until two or four in the morning with a really heavy, starchy, carbohydrate-based meal late at night. Now, some nights that might be worth it to me. I might be like, it's date night. It's our anniversary. I think it's worth it. And this is where I start to have those conversations That's with clients. That's where we're different. I'm like, it's Tuesday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I start to have the conversations with clients. If you if you learn to calm your hunger hormones and you learn to feel full with the fab four, you don't have to – you aren't craving that stuff as much. And then when you make the conscious choice to, like, enjoy it, you shouldn't feel bad about it. But you do want to understand – where is the hidden sugar? Because if you're not making the choice to have the pizza and the beer and instead thinking you're being healthy with a yogurt that actually has 10 grams of sugar in it and you're full of insulin and shutting down fat burning between when you have that at breakfast at 6 in the morning all the way till lunch at noon and you don't know why you're starving and you don't know why you can't lose weight, hormones play a big factor in that. So I think fasting is a really great way between dinner and breakfast to clear insulin, to get back to fat burning, to balance your hunger hormones, and to wake up and be refreshed to make those healthy fat four choices. Uh, leptin is the is one of the satiety hormones. Yes. I used to think I didn't have any. Yeah, I, I mean. used to dream of like making a Shark Tank product that was a leptin supplement that I could just take and feel full. Well, it's funny that you say that because what we've actually found is that um, there were pharmaceuticals that were 
pharmaceutical companies that were going down the drug path to find leptin replacements that they could give to people so that they had that trigger in the brain that they were full and fine and they weren't hungry. And um, it, it just so happens that if someone is insulin resistant, which means they do a bad job of putting maybe the pizza and beer into their muscles because their muscles aren't doing a very good job sucking up sugar. They're insulin resistant. If you have a form of insulin resistance, a lot of times, 50% or more, you have leptin resistance, which means your muscle cells aren't doing a good job sucking up sugar and your brain isn't getting that message from fat cells that were full. And mm -hmm. so it's a double-edged sword because the fat rolls on a lot faster. Wow. wow. That does also explains a lot still. Um, you have a beautiful chart in the book about all these different hormones, insulin, leptin, ghrelin, glucagon-like peptide 1, cholecystokinin, peptide YY, neuropeptide Y, cortisol, dopamine. <laughs> so if anybody wants to get deeper into the science, you present it, but you also present it in a very easy-to-understand chart. Yes, that's my favorite page in my book. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I enjoy reading it. I actually, as I continue to read the book, I reference back there sometimes because yeah. um, there's a lot of information there, but it's it's laid out really well. All right. This is obviously going to be one of our longer podcasts, but uh, still, we're going to take a little break. We will come right back with more Body Love and Kelly Levesque. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and we're continuing our discussion with Kelly Levesque. Okay, if somebody's listening right now and they say, this sounds pretty interesting, you know, you've got my attention, I want to give it a little try. One of the things I love about it is how easy it is to just try it and start. You recommend, in fact, that you don't make any big changes, just start the morning with a Fab Four smoothie. Tell me about the smoothies. Yeah, so the smoothie is a quick and easy way to get the Fab Four into your breakfast. And for a lot of people, they're grabbing something on the go or they don't have time to make eggs or 
for whatever reason, this maybe works for them because it's light. And so the Fab Four smoothie has a protein powder in it. So there's your protein. You can pick pea protein, collagen protein, grass-fed whey protein. There's actually beef protein now from Sweden. There's so many different types of protein powder. And I always just say pick clean, look for limited ingredients, find something that you like the flavor of because you're never going to drink the shake if you don't like the taste of your protein powder. Um, Do you have a favorite, just not in terms of flavor, but in terms of uh, source? I like collagen because I eat animals. So I'm not vegan. Um, I eat fish and chicken and eggs. And what you get from collagen is glycine and proline, which are two amino acids um, that make up collagen. So collagen is just, a you can think about it like a string of protein in all of our bodies, Right. And it has specific types of amino acids in it that I'm not really getting a lot of when I eat muscle meat. So Mm -hmm. most of the time you're having a chicken breast, Mm -hmm. a chicken thigh, a, you know, your steak is ground chuck or it's all coming from muscles. So we're not getting a lot of those amino acids that come from ligaments, joints, skin, tissues, because we're not eating organs anymore. You're not making it sound all that tasty. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but it's just... I have a ba- I got a bag of collagen protein based on what mm-hmm. I read. Yeah. But I haven't had it yet. Yeah. Um, and I think part of it is I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. Yeah. I mean, it's just different. It's just different parts. comes from different parts of the animal. What does it taste like? It tastes just like a whey or Any of the pea other protein. It doesn't taste like anything. Yeah. Okay. Did you get a plain collagen? It's plain, yeah. Okay. So what I would do with that is use the protein powder that you're using, either vanilla or chocolate, and then do like a tablespoon of the collagen just okay. to get you to get some glycine and proline in there. Okay. Just mix up your amino acids. Tomorrow morning. It's yeah. a deal. So there's a couple companies that do a vanilla and chocolate collagen protein, and I like Primal Kitchen. It just tastes really good. They... I think I've tried hundreds of protein powders in the last mm. six years because it's really important, right? My clients, one, I want to know that it's clean, it's limited ingredients, but I also need to know that it tastes good when I sit yeah. down with someone because if it tastes like dirt the first time they drink it, they'll never drink You're it again. Finished. Yeah. Like, yeah, I won't do it. So protein powder first, then you pick a fat source. So you know, it could be avocado if you like a really thick shake, almond butter, peanut butter, cashew butter, walnut butter. If you like chocolate, olive oil, sea salt flavor. The best part about this is you're taking real whole foods and building this shake with just a little bit of protein powder. So You introduced me to sun butter. Sun butter, yeah. I really like it. Sunflower seed Yummy. butter. It's great for people with nut allergies. Um, you know, that's, an, that's a great option. And then for fiber, we do chia, flax, acacia fiber, hemp. Hemp hearts. Yeah. They're delicious. They are so yummy. Um, Do you put them in the smoothie or you sprinkle them on afterwards? Both. Okay. Yeah, whatever. I sometimes like the little, if I'm using them in my smoothie, I'll sprinkle some on top crunch. too because yeah. the, the crunch is great. Texture. Yeah. And then greens, right? So we have our protein, we have our fat, our fiber is any and all of those seeds, and then we add greens. So a big handful of greens. So this gives your smoothie the Fab Four base to turn off all those hunger hormones, to feel full and satisfied until lunch, to elongate your blood sugar curve. And I think that's the best part is you can blend this all up with a little bit of unsweetened coconut milk or unsweetened vanilla almond milk. Um, And occasionally you can add fruit. It could be a fourth a cup of berries or, you know, you could do... Now you're talking crazy. Apple and almond butter. But it depends on people's goals. If someone has weight loss goals, I say... Find a really good tasting protein powder and go fruit-free first. 
mm-hmm. because w- let's just like start to pull the sugar that might make you have cravings for more sugar later in the day. Mm-hmm. So your body doesn't. So you're not so worried about the calorie from the apple. You just no. Eat a, it's the what it's, we talked about earlier. The spiking the blood sugar. Yeah, it's all those guys upstairs that are like, we just tried sugar. We just <laughs> ate sugar that was so yummy. Where's more of it? Oh, yeah, I can picture and, Lewis Black. Yeah, like <laughs> everybody's on board for more sugar once you have that taste even if it's natural sugar from fruit. So the whole point is that you're not crashing before lunch because if I can get you to a place where you have the smoothie and you, it's lunchtime and you aren't starving and coming from a place of I'll eat anything right now, you make better choices. What's your ideal window between that shake and lunch uh, time frame? I would say a good a good period of time would be four to six hours. Okay. So I did it for three days. Very simple, right? I, I – Go nuts. And before I start every diet, I'm like, I have to have everything on hand, you know, whatever it is. Um, I'm like, well, if I don't have that, I'm going to fall off the wagon. So I, I you even have a recommended book uh, list in the book. And I just bought everything without even reading the <laughs> recipes. But really, it's it's kind of I have excess. I mean, all you you just mentioned a protein powder, uh, some sort of fat. So we use chocolate protein powder, almond butter. Um, hemp hearts and um, spinach and, and kale. It's baby spinach and baby kale. And we just load it in there with a little unsweetened almond milk and ice and blend it up. Sometimes, if we go crazy, a little cacao nib in there. Amazing. And um, my wife is addicted to it. She has no weight problems at all. She, and um, But she likes, you know, she just likes feeling satisfied. Absolutely. And um, usually the other thing about diets is whenever I start them, day one is like I got to force myself through it. Day two, I'm like, oh, wow, we already got through two days. I only have another six months of this. (laughs) And then um, by day three, I'm having like these horrible headaches and I'm moody. Um, None of that happened so far in this program. And now I'm almost two weeks into it. I took your advice. First few days, I only did the smoothie. And I'm like, this can't be like going to be all that life changing. But you know what? Before... Before long, just a couple of days into it, I didn't want any of those sugary foods anymore. I wanted to keep feeling the way I felt after I drank my shake. So we started eating just like good food, like fish and veggies and 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 salads, and and they feel good. And um, the crazy thing is, in the morning when I wake up, sometimes I'll be like, oh, "I'm ready for breakfast," and I'll be like, mm, "Got to get that 12-hour." Fasting window. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll, I'll have coffee. How do you feel about coffee in the morning? I love coffee. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. So I have coffee. I put a little coconut butter and uh, coconut oil in my coffee, and it definitely gets me to the – it usually actually gets me to like more of a 13 or 14-hour fasting without thinking about it. I'm just full. I'm not thinking about it. Then I have my shake, and then four hours later, I'm having lunch, and I feel good. Now – I opened up the entire podcast by saying the difference between innate intelligence and educated intelligence. And my whole life, all these diet books are educated intelligence. Here's how you trick the system. Here's how you beat the system. Here's how you have what, you know, your cheesecake made of all sorts of artificial crap and sweeteners, <laughs> you know, and, and you're, you're eating cheesecake, so everything's okay. <laughs> yeah. um, and then um, I constantly would be checking the scale, checking the number of inches, you know. I don't do any of that this time. I said to myself in the beginning, I just want to see how I feel and try to get in touch with how I'm feeling. So I don't know. I have no idea. I assume I lost weight because my clothing's big on me, but I'm sleeping better. I'm clearer minded. This I could just be making this up, but I'm recalling things faster and sharper and clearer. 
And the crazy thing, and I don't know if this is a normal thing or not, but my muscles, and I'm, I'm going for walks once in a while. I'm not working out with weights or anything like that, but I do, you know, body work all day. Mm-hmm. My muscles feel like they, like there was a wrapper around them of like cushiness mm-hmm. and it's gone. They're just getting like defined. Yeah. Without that squishiness around them. That's what I feel more than anything. You're getting this time to burn fat. You're getting this time without insulin and you're not overfilling. And you think about it, like you're getting the energy and the fuel to fill your liver and your muscles. You're not overdoing it. You're giving your body a break to cleanse. Every, all your hunger hormones are more balanced. And that's, I think that's the beauty of it is like everyone wants this quick fix and they want to go fast. And what happens after that is... All those things you were talking about, the headaches, feeling like junk, trying to white knuckle through the first couple days, you know, yelling at your kids, getting a fight with your wife, like all the side effects of a diet that not only affect you, but like everyone you live with. Yeah. <laughs> those those don't have to happen. And it's not happening at all. It's the opposite. I feel good and happy. Good. I'm more relaxed with my wife and kids. Good. That's the plan. That's the point. The amount of money I'll save on therapy. Yeah. (laughs) Stop thinking about (laughs) the food and just like feel full and calm. Um, All right. So I have questions for you. First of all, you said fruit. You're not against fruit. If you're trying to lose weight, maybe hold off on the fruit. If you're trying to get your blood sugar under control, maybe hold off on the fruit at the beginning. But if not... Are there specific types of fruit or amounts of fruit or times of day that you have fruit? Yeah. Um, so I love low glycemic berries, but I, I love all fruit. I just think that uh, the USDA recommendation to have five to six pieces of fruit a day is a little bit excessive, and I think it increases cravings for sugar. When you talk about what is fruit, well, fruit has two types of sugar, and it has glucose and it has fructose. And glucose is blood sugar, right? So some of an apple would break down to a little bit of blood sugar, and the rest of that apple that's comprised of fructose can only be metabolized in one way, and that's 100% metabolized through your liver. And if it doesn't fit in that fuel tank, it skips your muscles and goes directly to fat. Fat. Okay. So glucose can go into your blood sugar and then go into your muscles, liver, and then as a last resort, fat. Yes. Fructose, which is found in fruit, no muscle. No, it's 100% metabolized in your liver, liver, and if it doesn't fit there... Kick to the to trunk. Fat, which is interesting because it's fruit. Like when I was a kid, I was eating those Weight Watchers uh, fruits. Like everything was fruit oriented. Right. But also think about that. Why Why in nature would spring happen and summer happen with all these pieces of fruit? And what is the point of fruit? Like it, it's sweet and we don't have an off button and we release dopamine, this like reward hormone when we eat it because it's sweet and that gets us to continue to eat it. And then our body puts on weight before winter so that we can survive. But now we live in 72 degree houses (laughs) and we have food brought in from everywhere all over the world and there's no scarcity and Um, But we still have these chemical responses to food. So for me, it's like I will put some fruit in a smoothie, but also I sometimes like to keep my smoothie fruit free and just have a piece of fruit on its own occasionally. Um, You know, I might go to the farmer's market through summer and spring and get a peach or a nectarine. And this is a little bit backwards, but I will have it on its own in the afternoon time, maybe at like three 
maybe push it to four and just have it to taste it and and enjoy it. Know that my blood sugar is going to spike a little bit, that it's going to crash a little bit. Be prepared for that and then be ready to have dinner at 530 or 6. When you're starting to go down. Yeah, and And know that I need to make those fab four choices for dinner to really re-regulate those hunger hormones. You know, you mentioned dopamine and, and you didn't mention cortisol, but cortisol is also a part of it. When you start talking about these hormones, we're not only talking about inflammation and and uh, health of the physical health, but those are uh, mental health hormones that when you balance them, you you know, they, they, they control anxiety and for prolonged anxiety, depression, and other mental health uh, issues that people struggle with. Absolutely. I mean, there is, I think, I think with... All of us running around with our phones attached to our body and work never ending and, um, you know, just surviving and all of it. Like there's a lot of stress in our lives and cortisol is one of those hormones that really if someone has a cortisol issue, I can have a hard time helping them hit body composition goals. Mm -hmm. And that's where yoga, meditation Watching funny movies, like mm. watching cat YouTubes. I don't care what calms <laughs> you down, but we should probably think about ways to calm your body because it's... It's interesting. As a doula, I sometimes do that during labor when somebody's having a very hard time relaxing and getting out of their neocortex. Um, I'll put on Jim Gaffigan, Ali Wong, Jerry Seinfeld, whoever makes them laugh. And just a few times between contractions, you know, just a few laughs there and your body knows it's not being chased by a tiger. It's a game changer. Everything changes after that. Absolutely. Uh, what about dairy? So dairy is one of those things that it, if we look at dairy, uh, there are different types of dairy. So a glass of milk or ice cream or, or something like that is going to have way more lactose or sugar because dairy is made up of protein, fat, and sugar. Um, but as you get into more cultured dairy like yogurt and then cottage cheese and then all the way to hard cheeses like Parmesan, Parmesan has very little lactose, very little sugar left, and all that's left is protein and fat. So when you think about dairy, I go person by person, and one, if you have a dairy allergy to any of the components, lactose, whey, or casein, the protein in dairy, we might pull it out. It might cause some inflammation. I definitely don't want people eating hormone and antibiotic-filled dairy products every day if if that's not for them. But I also think about dairy as something that is satisfying because it has that fat, and it um, it can be used occasionally for people – to feel full and calm around others and at a meal. So, for example, if I go to dinner with Chris and he gets two In-N-Out double-doubles, fries, <laughs> and a Neapolitan or whatever it is, the shake with all the flavors in it, and I go, I might go for the lettuce-wrapped burger with cheddar and I make it like a cheeseburger with the Thousand Island sauce versus trying to be the girl who's having just a beef patty with mustard wrapped, you know, wrapped in lettuce because I don't I want to be present. I want to be there. I want to enjoy it. I, I don't want to be tempted to have his food. And I think dairy is sometimes for some people a great way to add satiety. So we might use a little bit of feta or sheep, you know, sheep or goat cheese. We might use a little bit of Parmesan if we need to. But if you don't miss it, it shouldn't be something that you add to your plate every single day. Mm-hmm. And when you do buy dairy or occasionally have it, if you're buying it, you should definitely find um, goat, sheep, or 100% pasture-raised cow, like cheddar or something like that. 
leaning more towards the cheeses than the really liquidy kind. More towards the harder cheeses, harder cheeses with less sugar. Yeah, than like something that's More going, protein and fat. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'm, I'm good with protein and fat. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about grains? So um, grains are interesting. Um, there are people that have issues with grains. There are anti-nutrients in grains that can cause... What does that mean, anti-nutrient? Um, so anti-nutrients would be like phytates, and phytates attach... They basically neutralize minerals so you're not absorbing minerals when you eat grains. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean that you won't absorb minerals all day long, but just in that meal, it can they can bind to vitamins and minerals and... And prevent um, absorption, so it doesn't. Yeah. End, the good stuff doesn't end up in your bloodstream. Yeah, so it is funny to me when I hear people say like quinoa is a great source of protein. And I'm like, well, yeah, it might have protein in it, but it's mostly a carbohydrate, and so let's not like let's call a spade a spade. Like, what is it mostly? And that's what I do with most foods. Is like, what is it mostly? Do I have grains? Yeah, I have sushi. There are times, you know, when I have quinoa in a salad, but I also I like to choose carbohydrates that I love more than anything else. Like I'd rather have sushi than quinoa in a salad and be like quinoa is healthier. No, it's they're both grains and they're both going to be carbohydrates. And I'm making the choice to have that what I like to call the party plus one to the fab four meal. And I try to keep it to just plus one so I wouldn't maybe have rice with sushi and then say, it's a cheat meal. I'm going to have dessert and I'm going to have booze and Mm -hmm. I'm going to and let's swing through CVS for sour candy on the way home. You know, I think that mentality is really what's You just went through like a trifecta of no-nos for pregnancy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Maybe I'm subconsciously like, I really (laughs) want sugar fish right now. (laughs) But um, grains are... A carbohydrate, and it's not innately part of the Fab Four. They're not protein. They're not fat. They're not fiber. They're not greens. But are they bad for you? No. I like I said, I don't think anything's off the table. It's just understanding biologically what's going to happen to me. Well, I'm going to have these this sushi at dinner. I'll probably elevate my blood sugar. It'll hopefully come down by tomorrow morning. But if it is a little bit elevated the next day, I might have an increase of cravings for carbohydrates that day. So I should really focus on getting more protein. So I might have my shake. I might have a lunch with a little added extra nuts and seeds on my salad to get more protein, or I might have a hard-boiled egg for a snack later that day to to really kind of calm as many hunger hormones as you I can. Compensate for it. Exactly. And you control your chemistry with food. Yeah, I just like to know that stuff so oh. that I can have my cake and eat it too. Oh, dang. That should be your tagline. <laughs> um, okay. Artificial sweeteners. I don't like chemical sweeteners. Um, pink, yellow, blue packets, those aren't for me. Um, they override satiety signaling, um, and they can feed bad bacteria in the gut like yeast and candida. When, it, when it comes to stevia— that on the package. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to stevia and monk fruit, um, these are made from—well, uh, f- stevia is a leaf. It's a plant. I mean, cocaine is a plant, but, mm-hmm. like, you get it. Um, You're saying I should put cocaine in my coffee? <laughs> yeah, basically. I just don't—yeah, uh, you get it. Um, <laughs> stevia is a plant. It has been used for over 1,500 years in um, South America, and it has—it doesn't have the side effects. What you will have when you use these artificial sweeteners like stevia and monk fruit, which are from plants, when you taste sugar, you might still have an increase for sugar. 
like mm-hmm. increased craving for sugar. But that sort of is case by case. I have people that use a little bit of stevia or monk fruit. It's used in their protein powder to sweeten their shake. And because they're having the protein and fat and fiber and feeling full, they don't have those cravings. Mm-hmm. What I would advise against is when people get the liquid stevia container and they keep it in their purse and they put it in their iced tea and their coffee Uh and their water and you see them dripping it on some dessert that they bought out. I'm like, whoa, (laughs) this this needs to go. But if you're using it one or two times a day max, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Right. So I, I, I have, I always used to put sugar in my coffee with the art, with the flavored creamers. Yeah. Um, at Seven Eleven, you're like a chef. You get a little bit of the Irish cream, a little bit of the hazelnut. Yeah. uh, Gourmet. Um, so now that I'm not doing that, I, I do put one stevia packet in, but I've been, now I do half a stevia packet. And I'm sort of not really missing it. Yeah. So I think I'm going to just get rid of it altogether. Well, it's your cravings for that sugar are coming down because you're not having it. I don't think about it ever. It's the exact the opposite anymore. of my whole life. My whole life, my brain has been saying, what can we eat? What can we eat? What can we eat? I get up from Thanksgiving dinner having too much stuffing, too much turkey, too much potato, too much cranberry, and <laughs> barely able to breathe, holding my belly in my hands because it's so heavy. And I'm thinking, what can I eat? What can I eat? And now it's the exact opposite. I mean, 10 days later, I'm not really thinking. I'm like, oh, man, I got to eat. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a reversal. It's really hard it's... hard to imagine. Well, but it makes sense. I mean, yeah. you just got charts about all the hormones, and it just makes sense. Even my kids, my kids, my daughter's uh, 12, and she loves the carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, now she's playing basketball, and she's more athletic, and she wants to, she wants to like, be stronger and faster. And so when I explained to her the Fab Four, it made sense to her. When I explained to her the fasting window and the blood sugar, it's on her level at 12, totally made sense to her. Yeah. And so you see her making much better choices because she's she, even with the window, she's like, no, I'm not going to eat yet. It's, I'm trying to extend my window. Yeah. <laughs> my, yeah. my sugar curves to be bigger. Yeah. Um, but what about those cravings? Sometimes you do get a, a craving in between meals, and, and you don't. Do you have a particular tip on how you handle those? Yeah, I like to. It's interesting because it depends on the time of day. So, um, for some people, they have lunch at noon and they don't have dinner until eight o'clock, and that's a really long window of eight hours. So, what I like to say is that you should have a bridge snack if you need one, and a bridge should be something that bridges that curve to get you to dinner, and a. Bridge snack can be comprised of the Fab Four. So it might have some protein and fat, like a hard-boiled egg. Or Mm -hmm. maybe it has fiber and fat, and it's a flax seed cracker that's just, like, basically made of flax and chia dipped into guacamole or avocado. Ooh, is there a flax seed cracker you like? Flackers. Flackers, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Flackers. Flackers, they're pretty big-sized crackers, and you can have six, and it's a carbohydrates seven carbohydrates and six grams of fiber because it's just flax. Mm-hmm. So when you look at that, seven carbohydrates minus six grams of fiber is one little flacker entering my bloodstream. It's the same <laughs> as, emoji. Yeah, it's the same as having veggies and it's filling. And when we start, when I see clients get really excited about the Fab Four and they pull back too much and they don't have these things that make it feel like they're having fun, yeah. then I get a little worried because then they're treating it like a severe diet, like a very strict type of a diet. And I want to pull them back and say, take advantage of like, okay, you have a really big chicken shawarma salad situation. Can you add a couple flackers and, you know, dip that in or, you know, have it with your salad or something like that? I mean, that. if they weren't having fun, at least saying flackers is a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a fun. I also spied with my little eye on your Instagram page uh, something this week that looked amazing. It was a keto bun. Yeah. So what's great about the keto movement is keto um, is a very – 
it's a it's a no carb diet, mm-hmm. right? And so all of these people are coming out with bread products that are made of you know, a little bit of almond or coconut flour, egg, coconut oil, and fiber. Fiber, so, I saw psyllium husk or flax or flax meal. And I was so impressed with the keto buns, the unbun, oh, um, really? because they were so squishy. Because <gasps> a lot of the keto stuff can be really cardboard, you know, yeah. those fake I've had, breads. I've had them. They're, yeah, they, yeah. They, it's almost worse than having, you know, nothing. Yeah, but these are the I used kind to make of... them in a mug with yeah. like recipe at home. There you mug. go. Yeah. You're like, okay, it's as hard as a rock. It's like more of a scone than a piece of it's bread. It's definitely a dry, yeah. more of a British thing. Um, um, but those are the kind of things where, and I also love the freezer. So I'll have people get maybe the Unbun or another great bread company that's keto-friendly or paleo-friendly is Barely Bread. Um, there's a cauliflower pizza crust company that uses cauliflower and flax and egg called Cauliflower Pizza Crust. Mm. And they have red pepper flavor and garlic and all kinds of stuff. But these are great things to have around because they store in your freezer. Mm-hmm. And so, so it isn't it. like opening a cabinet to a bag of Lay's. Nah. You have to let it defrost. You have to be intentional. It has to be added to a meal most often, you know, or at least there's a little bit of barrier to entry. There's no so. have to. I would eat any of these things frozen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. When I come get my body work and adjustment and you tell me that you've eaten a frozen unbun, <laughs> we might actually have to have a conversation. Well, I don't think I would, but my wife learned the hard way that there's no such thing as a frozen cookie. Or or cake bar. Yeah, like she, she would put stuff in the freezer, thinking nobody will eat it because it's frozen. I'm like, no, that tastes delicious. Yeah, you're like, it's basically sure ice the cream. Unbun, <laughs> the unbun may not. Yeah. Um, okay, stress eating. It happens. And and when you feel that stress, something happens. You get stressed out and you get hungry for it. Is there like a, a food that will help calm that stress that and not spike your sugar? Um, so one of the things that I take advantage of with clients is finding sort of the sweets that, that fall under that low-carb or keto type of a, type of a plan. Like keto cups are, are like a peanut butter cup made without um, sugar. sugar. They use stevia. Mm-hmm. Um, the Good Chocolate Company, really high in polyphenols out of San Francisco, perfect size mini squares with like mint chocolate chocolate, almond, sea salt, stuff like great flavors. Um, If someone's at home, I have a freezer fudge recipe that is coconut oil, almond butter, cocoa powder, and a little bit of stevia. And you melt it, whisk it, pour it into an ice cube tray, and put it in your freezer. And so you can pop one of these cubes. It's fat. It's protein. There isn't an actual blood sugar spike. It melts in your mouth, and that can be a great replacement. Or even just a roti. So say I have someone who... Is just feeling like, ah, oh, I like for some reason, and I think it's probably stress, or maybe they've been working really hard and just too many days in a row, or maybe you came off a of birth, or whatever the case may be. If you came home and you had that chocolate protein powder, you might make your shake that you make with your wife and then ditch the spinach and kale and make it more savory, make oh, yeah. it more of a dessert, and drink it slow on your couch or listening to a podcast or whatever you do to kind of unwind if you're looking for something like a sweet. If it's really if you come home from work and you're and it, you catch yourself just wanting to snack on anything that is crunchy, I'm a huge fan of celery and cucumber and chopping it up because I don't care if you eat a whole head of celery because it's normal to feel a little bit bingy in that type of a situation where you just want to eat 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 and people will get to the point where their jaw is sore. 
I did that this week. Yeah. And that's that happens. So, you know, what what I use are these boxes by o, the OXO brand and they're green saver boxes. And I always have a head of celery. I'll chop the end off and have it all rinsed off. And they store in these boxes. The same with the cucumber and a couple of different fat dips like almond butter, mm. sunflower butter. I didn't even go there. <laughs> and then you can kind of crunch until your jaw is sore without eating, you know, two bags of chips or two boxes of crackers. Sure. I felt stress. There's a stressful thing that happened. And uh, I got, I had from Whole Foods a just a box of cut celery yeah. already washed. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, out of all things I can eat, it's going to be celery. Yeah. And I know that you're very practical in your approach. I'm like, I'm not cheating. I just need something right now to be in my hand, in my mouth, crunching, chewing. Totally. And it's going to be celery. It tasted so good. And by the end of it, I actually felt it's, full. Well, it's also like celery. it's that mentality or it's that it's just the action, like chewing and eating and chewing fast. It can be like really calming for people. And it's it just, just what I'm used to doing when yeah. I get stressed out. But I'm usually eating something really crappy and disgusting. We Most of us are. So now it's celery. Yeah. And yeah. it's crunchy. It kind of. Yeah. And if people have like a craving just for a flavor, I love krauts. So oh, yeah. sauerkraut, um, any kind of like kimchi, kimchi, any kind of fermented veggies, you can buy those. And the greatest part about these is they don't go bad in your fridge. They last for like a month. They or... just become crowdier. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they just become more fermented. Yeah, I was like, um, this is very sauerkraut. <laughs> yeah, farmhouse kraut makes a bunch of flavors like garlic dill pickle, which Ooh. I the baby loves. Oh, really? So, <laughs> yeah, it's great. You know, you know when it's stress or like you have to send an email. For me, it's if I have to get something done and I'm procrastinating and I know I have a call in another hour and I have to get someone a plan and and I do a stress drive-by through the kitchen. I'm like, dang it. Okay. Garlic dill pickle, Ooh, a fork. Really Let's do it. <laughs> um, this is already one of the longest podcasts we already have. I still have three more questions okay. and we have not even gotten to the pregnancy stuff. I can be rapid fire. Are, are you in a rush? Do you have to? No, okay. I have time. I'm going to do something that I've never done before, which is a part three. Okay. But before we go there, um, here's the question. It's vegan. Yeah. So I'm thinking about the Fab Four. I'm thinking about everything you're saying about getting protein from high-protein, low-carb sources. Yeah. How does a vegan do your program? Um, I'm so glad you asked that. My second book, Body Love Every Day, goes into how to deal or how to be vegan with the Fab Four. And there are a few modifications. The good news is is you ha- there are vegan sources of protein powder. So the Fab Four smoothie is Tried no and true. Yeah. Right. You can go with a pea protein, a hemp seed protein, a brown rice protein, um, find the flavor you love and go from there. Um, and then when it comes to lunch and dinner, um, you're not going to get as much protein from beans. Right. And beans are actually high carbohydrates. So to get eight grams of protein, we have to ingest and metabolize 40 grams of carbohydrates. Carb. Oh. There are. That's not fab. They are. Yeah, it's not fab. <laughs> that they, sounds like flab. Yeah. <laughs> the good news is, is there is fiber in beans. So, you know, that might be 20 grams of fiber in, and 40 grams of carbohydrates. So 20 net carbohydrates. So 20 little beans floating or emojis floating in your bloodstream. But what I try to tell people is the best way to handle that is to really up the fat. And I use nuts and seeds and I use extra avocado. Instead of trying to eat a whole can of beans in one sitting, let's use beans on a taco salad and 
you know, can we add extra avocado to that? Or can we do a um, cashew cream cilantro dressing? So we're like a soy taco? Um, no, oh. like it would be the, there would be no meat on it. Oh, okay. No fake meat. Oh, I, I don't see. like I don't like soy protein um, in general, uh, just because I had eight years in cancer and genetics. Oh, and right. depending on re- <laughs> just depending on phytoestrogen receptors in your body, it, it can either suppress cancer growth or it can speed it up. And I don't like anything Not that's soybeans like soybeans by themselves. But you're saying soybean concentrates. Yeah, in... the concentrates and all of and then you know obviously you have. The majority of soybeans that are grown here are GMO, GMO, covered in glyphosate. There's just a bunch of. I just don't think it's clean, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're like so edamame. You're a taco-like style. salad. A taco-like salad where you might put some black beans on it. I would say add extra avocado. Like maybe you put like a huge, like it's a Costco-sized avocado, and use a half on that salad. Use fat to feel full, and then for my vegans, I might actually add an afternoon roti smoothie. So it'll be a smoothie for breakfast, like a full Fab Four, and then they might have their salad, which isn't going to last them as long because they don't have as much protein, protein there. Yeah. But then they are getting a little bit of protein in like an on-the-go shake, and then the coming home and having something like a veggie soup or so it's doable, totally doable. Yeah. My vegans are going to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, last question is, how do you incorporate exercise into this program? And is there particular types of exercise or times of day when they're better and more helpful to do them? Yeah. Um, if you have weight loss goals, getting up and doing a fasted workout first thing in the morning is really good because hormonally you um, are in a place without insulin and you're not eating before and you're able to really mobilize free fatty acids and break down fat faster. You also get a surge of human growth hormone and testosterone as a male and as a female that's really known for those lean muscles that you're looking for. You know, if you can't work out in the morning, then, you know, find a time to move because when you think about where you store sugar in your liver first, your muscles second, if you know space left, there's fat. How do you make space in your muscles? You work out. Anytime I think about someone working out and people say, "Work," you know, sweat is fat crying. I'm like, no, <laughs> sweat is the emojis that you had at the meal before floating out of your muscles. Uh-huh. <laughs> the emoji, uh, it works for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just visual, so it makes I'm sense I'm very for me. visual. I was like, Dr. Bob, my chiropractic biochemist never talked about emojis. <laughs> there was no emotion at all. Actually. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. We're going to do a historical first. We're going to take our second break and we'll be right back with Kelly Levesque. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Dr. Berlin. And I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart. Literally. Omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new Omega-3 Soft Gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell. Perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet.
Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. I am still here with Kelly Levesque, and I never want to let her go. But this is going to be our last segment for real. Okay. Um, you're currently pregnant with your first baby. Towards the end, congratulations. Thank you. We're so excited. Um, I'm excited that you're making a little human as well. We need more little Kellys and little Chris's. Yes. <laughs> um, so here's the question. Have your routines changed at all during pregnancy? Um. A little bit. So uh, I still follow the Fab Four. I definitely am craving. I was craving in the in the earlier part of my pregnancy in the first trimester a little bit more carbohydrates. But I was leaning on some of those products like the Barely Bread. I love Jill's crackers, which um, I love flackers. So I don't think I mentioned Jill's the first time around. But that's another like almond flour chia flax cracker. And so I might add a couple of those. Um, there was a little bit of time there where I'd wake up and I wouldn't want anything cold. So I would have eggs. Oh, no smoothie. Eggs scrambled with some avocado and then I'd have a smoothie for lunch or smoothie as a like bridge snack later in the day. I was still always having my fat. Is there a soup version of your smoothie? Um, yes. If you, if, yeah, if you make or buy traditional bone broth, like Mm -hmm. chicken bone, like, you know, chicken soup, homemade the real way. Uh, there's so much protein in that broth. It's nine grams of protein per cup. And so you can do a bone broth, which has protein. Um, and then you can add fat either with olive oil or avocado and then non-starchy veggies and leafy greens. So one of my favorites is sort of like a Mexican veggie soup where you do bone broth, avocado, and then you can put zucchini and summer squash and tomatoes oh, yeah. and onions and cilantro and a oh, squeeze yes. of lime. It's a Fab Four soupy. Yeah, jalapeno, and it's really good. It's so many flavors. Yeah, and if you want the chicken, you just pull the chicken and do it too. I want so, the chicken. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, okay, so you, that was early in the pregnancy. Well, so, because you coach people during pregnancy as well. I do. But you also coach people with things that come up not during pregnancy, like diabetes, that then again can come up as gestational diabetes. But let's start at the beginning. I mean, you, you're now living through all these different stages. A lot of people talk about nausea, vomiting, and fatigue in the first trimester. Yeah. I, I had a little bit of nausea for two weeks and then had a, an appointment with my OBGYN and walked in and said, you know, I'm definitely fatigued and I'm okay with this. Fatigue makes you want to have sugar, right? Because you're just like, how can I get the fastest form of energy? And that can be in the form of starch too sweet. So if you're having those cravings in the beginning for bread to cookies, it can be just wanting fast fuel and waking up a little bit. So be aware of that and try to pick like cleaner alternatives. Um, But those can create really bad habits in the beginning of your pregnancy. And then when the nausea goes away... You still have those really bad habits. So what I when I walked in, I said I, I sort of am feeling nauseous, and you know what what do people do for this? And she said the prescription is a low grade Unisom and B6. Mm-hmm. So I said, can I start taking B6 and see if it goes away? I'm very lucky. Like knock on wood, uh, 48 hours later, I didn't have any nausea. Oh, really? Just B6 by B6 itself. on its own, 25 milligrams. And she said you could split it up or take it once a day. And I just got a um, little 10 milligram one, started with 10 in the morning and like 10 mid-afternoon when I started to get that second wave. Mm-hmm. And 
it totally went away. So I see the whole spectrum. I see people who just have it so mild that they don't want to take anything. Yeah. I see people who take B6 and it goes away just with B6. Mm-hmm. Um, I see the B6 Unisom more and more commonly now. Mm-hmm. And then if that's not working, heavier, more prescription drugs for fighting the nausea and or the vomiting. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cravings and sometimes the nausea and vomiting, I think, feed off of each other. You know, if you if you're if you're low energy and then you just eat that pure sugar and it messes with your blood sugar, it can also make you nauseous. Yeah, absolutely. I would say um, the more favor that I ate, the more energized, calm, and relaxed I felt, the less nauseous I felt, the less fatigued I felt. Mm. And it really helped me. It's just, you know, again, it's that light structure. I'm not saying you can't have crackers or bread or whatever that you need, but try to go for those lower glycemic options, maybe raspberries, a little natural sweetness, good fiber, um, or these alternatives that fuel you without overfueling you and causing you to crash out and feel nauseous. If somebody is fails, let's say, I hate the term fails, but fails the glucose test, um, the fasting blood sugar, um, and then let's say they have a little time before they take the glucose tolerance test, um, are there specific things that you recommend in between? Or if they do also not do well with the glucose tolerance test, is there any modification to your diet? Or is this actually what you would recommend, what you're already recommending? Well, it's really funny that you asked that because Literally an hour ago, I just sat down with a pregnant client who failed her first glucose tolerance test (laughs) and then wanted to know what she needed to do before the next one. And she had texted me before we even sat down today. And I had her go get a glucometer from CVS and start treating herself like like she already had gestational diabetes to track her fasting blood sugar. So she pricked her finger to find out her blood sugar first thing in the morning. And then she would check her blood sugar one to two hours after each of her meals. So after breakfast, after lunch, and after dinner. And so what we're doing there is we're charting her blood sugar curve to see where she's at. And what had happened with her first test is that she's sort of a little bit of a workaholic and she was running around and she had barely eaten anything. (laughs) And then she went directly into 50 grams of glucose. Mm -hmm. And what we know is that intermittent fasting and like elongating your windows and this very popular trend of intermittent fasting actually completely backfires metabolically when you intermittent fast and you go directly into a really high carbohydrate meal. So what I told her was next time, one, see if you can get away with treating yourself like you have gestational diabetes and tracking your blood sugar for your doctor to see if you can opt out of it. Mm -hmm. And if your doctor still wants you to take the test, it's really important that you have enough protein and fat. So I would definitely go for at least 20 grams of protein in your smoothie before you go, a, you know, maybe an extra tablespoon of fat in that smoothie. Or if you're having like eggs and avocado and veggies, like eat a real meal, don't fast into that. And then allow for, you know, maybe you scheduled your glucose tolerance test a little bit, you know, 10 in the morning or whatever, whenever you want to do it. And you'll see that it won't go as high. Mm-hmm. So that you the don't. test is bizarre to begin with. I mean, you, the, you take a pregnant woman, you, you know, for the first one she has to fast, and then, you know, then we give her this glucola, which is like uh, soda concentrate. Yeah, you can't. Eat, no one's eating that much sugar. In no one's, one's having glucola. Yeah, <laughs> even if you're having regular cola, you're not having glucola, yeah. and it just it doesn't taste good. It's not even a good flavored, and you can't throw up at all, or it's all over. Yeah. 
And then if your blood sugar spikes, uh, you know, they're like, oh, my goodness, you have diabetes, you know, no more apples for you. Yeah. <laughs> like they take your fruit away because yeah. you can't handle glucola. I think we need to rethink that test. Yeah. I, think, <laughs> I think it would be great if instead of the glucola, you got this little picnic. Yeah. Box, Give me real food right? and let's see how food. I and respond. Eat this and then we'll test your sugar. Right. And then we stab you every couple of every hour. Yeah. Uh, it sounds terrible. Um, what if... Then after the glucose tolerance test, it's determined that they have gestational diabetes. Um, you know, for severe cases, they use uh, uh, insulin. But right. sometimes with a more mild or medium case, you have a chance to use diet and exercise. Yeah. No, I think it's if you have the chance to use diet and exercise, it's a great, you know, the Fab Four is a great tool for you because we're teaching you how to balance your blood sugar. And for a pregnant woman, I might add that bridge snack, have breakfast, have lunch, have a protein-based bridge snack either um, between lunch and dinner or after dinner before bed because that does help support having nutrients so that you aren't breaking down your own body or freeing up too much sugar while you're sleeping. I love all your little terms. Be well, Fab Four, bridge snack. These are all things. (laughs) I just want to go into a little store and see a little (laughs) selection of bridge snacks Yeah, for me to have. Um, What about hypertension, pregnancy hypertension? Um, So that's a hard one because it's interesting. There was actually an article that came out that oral health had a lot to do with hypertension. Um, So the bacterial ecosystem that lives in your mouth, and they found that people that use Listerine for a long time killed off a lot of that bacteria, and it was correlated to really— good bacteria? It kills off—yeah, it's killing off the probiotic bacteria that— protects you from the outside world because think about it this bacteria probiotic bacteria is all over your body but it really you know when we're talking about the gi tract it starts in your mouth and goes all the way down to your booty and Mm. in your mouth your gums like when you have bad gum health and it's related to heart disease same sort of a thing here so um they're actually finding that people who use aggressive oral care products have a higher chance of hypertension in pregnancy and in general um, because that layer, yeah, that like protective barrier, you're basically like over cleansing. It's sort of like the same idea as all of these antibacterial soaps and antibacterial sprays and we're killing off this microbiome that really is the first layer of defense in our body. I believe that I read uh, for a I did a lecture for a while called The History of Caesarean Birth. And, um, you know, Caesarean became a lot safer once we had antiseptics, which is in large part to Joseph Lister. Yeah. And I think a, a little fact that I picked up along the way is that Listerine actually started as a, uh, a, a cleaning product. Yeah. And uh, which makes me Doesn't feel a lot. Surprise me. <laughs> it makes me feel a lot better because my kids are always spilling on the floor. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, great, two for one. Yeah. yeah. But now it sounds like I need to have like a little probiotic breath spray. <laughs> they actually have probiotic lozenges oh, now. Really? For yeah, they have probiotic lozenges for kids um, now for oral health. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So those expect probiotics for all over your body in the future. They'll probably be in our lotions. They'll probably be in kind of anything and everything. Very fascinating. Um, So maybe stop doing that? Yeah. So be careful of your oral health. And then, um, you know, I I think when it comes down to it, looking, you know, salt is demonized with high blood pressure or hypertension, but 
salt – the sodium-potassium balance of every cell um, keeps – the water retention good in your cells. So one, look to make sure that you're not over-consuming sodium. Um, but also, I think food-wise, I don't think is as much about the food as we think. Like people demonize salt and they say, cut out all the salt and your heart, your blood pressure will go down. And I think getting active, being careful about processed foods and carbohydrates, where that excess salt would sneak in, be careful. If you're eating clean foods, you're eating the Fab Four, you actually will release more sodium. Mm. And that's like when people are on the keto diet, which is the very, very, very low carb diet, they actually need more sodium. Because they want to getting rid of so much. Because they're, they're getting rid of so much of it. It's interesting, and you you alluded to this earlier. Nutrition is sort of in its infancy. We're yeah. always learning new things. You know a lot. I would. <laughs> I wish I had like uh, like a subscription to your brain that I could uh, access whenever I had questions. Um, I'm jealous. When of you're you. a client, it's called text. Right. There's <laughs> that. But I'm jealous of you because you get to live with you, so you get to think these things through all the time with your giant knowledge base. But it, it, nutrition is still in its infancy. Um, there's <laughs> a little bit by Lewis Black where he says, we, we know absolutely nothing. And he says, I'll prove it to you. Um, is milk good for you or bad for you? And then it's totally quiet in this packed auditorium. And he says, I rest my case. We don't know. When he was a kid, you had to drink a lot of milk. Now you're not supposed to drink milk. Um, I read that when we first started working with diabetes, diabetes mellitus, that uh, all we knew is that there was there was sugar in your pee, in your urine. So they thought, oh, these guys lose, losing sugar, you must need a very high sugar diet to replace <laughs> all the sugar that they losing. And they probably killed a few people that way. Yeah. But you learn, and you learn over time. And nutrition, still, we're still learning all the time. Absolutely. But we do know a lot more than we used to know. And it's, it's really neat to use it for our advantage. Um, any thoughts on swelling? A lot of people swell at the end of pregnancy. Yeah, I've had some friends who have been swelling. I mean, the best thing for me, because I sort of have swelling, it's not the same type of swelling, I think. I'm not sure, but I have it on my left side because of, like, soccer injuries. And um, for me, I've been using foam roller, a foam roller, um, and rolling out. I've been coming to see you, which Mm -hmm. has been amazing. So body work, making sure that I'm trying to stay as aligned as possible. And the workouts I've been doing have really been, like, yoga and Pilates-based. So I'm trying to use my muscles. I think, you know, there is a little bit of fear when you get pregnant to not overdo it or, you know— You just don't want to hurt the baby. And I I will tell you, um, my body is used to moving. And so the more sedentary I become and the harder it is to move around, the more I notice that I'm swelling. Mm -hmm. And I really just... It's interesting because I mean we just live in a very fear-based society. We have an episode of our podcast called "The Taboos of Pregnancy," where I, I sit down with one. Dr. Jay Goldberg and we just talk about <laughs> all these things that you're not supposed to touch or eat or look at or drink or move into. And he's like, "Yeah, well, really, you know, yeah. it's just we live in a very fear-based society." So I think people are afraid of overdoing it, but really, I think there's a much greater concern of underdoing it. Absolutely. And um, there's a healthy balance for everyone. Uh, all right, let's talk about postpartum. You're getting closer to it yourself, but you've coached a lot of people and sometimes celebrities uh, in particular who after they have a baby, they have to be back on camera or on screen or at work pretty soon and they get paid to look like they were not pregnant before. So how do you um, how do you help them? Number one. And then number two, for the average person, you know, it normally takes a little time, nine months to look as pregnant as you do right before you have the baby. And it's very common for it to take several months to look uh, like you did before you had the baby. It's a very normal progression. So for the rest of us, um, 
us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something you need to I, tell me? Well, well, we have four kids. <laughs> I will say this. My wife insisted on getting pregnant a second time before I lost the baby weight from the first baby. And so it's been all downhill from there. Um, but for, for, you know, for average people, in general, there's a craving to start to get back into your old clothing and to look the way you did before. And um, for people who feel that way, how do you start going about doing that nutritionally? But also if they're breastfeeding, for example, making nutrient-rich milk. Right, absolutely. Um, Well, one of the things that I love, and again, if I say the Fab Four too many times on this podcast, please tell me to stop. But one of the things that I love about the Fab Four is it's not about calories. And what I do see moms do right after they give birth is they want their body back immediately. Mm -hmm. So they start to pull back and they pull back uh, calorically and smaller portions and they're eating a little bit less or they just don't even have time to eat because their new life is so crazy. Um, and then their milk supply dwindles and then and, and or it's like having a hard time coming in. And what's so great, I think about the Fab Four and what's been successful for my clients to get back on the red carpet but still feel fueled and have that nutrient-rich milk is the Fab Four because think about breast milk. It's a good source of, you know, healthy essential fatty acids and amino acids, which come from fat and protein. Mm-hmm. And the first two ingredients in the Fab Four. Yeah. And so it's, you know, that's what your breast milk is made out of. And, um, you but know, you say water. it's not a calorie count, but is there, is there, I mean, I don't, I think I read once recommended portion sizes on things, mm-hmm. uh, for the shakes anyway, for mm-hmm. the smoothies. But is there so if someone would you recommend having more if they're if they find themselves hungry just to increase the the quantity yeah and so what we'll do is um, we'll give someone a smoothie for breakfast we'll do you know depending on their baby and like what you know if their baby's having a hard time with certain type of veggies or whatever we might do a warm protein and warm veggies or they might do they might feel like a salad with avocado and chicken or something like that and then we'll give them a little more protein and fat in a second shake in the afternoon, sort of the way that I work with some of my vegan and vegetarian clients. So they're never starving. I want them fueled. I don't want them thinking about calories. If they need to up their portions, please do that in the form of fat and then protein and then more vegetables. And the goal is just to feel fueled but really to watch how many times you're adding those quote-unquote party plus one, the carbohydrates that release insulin, that shut down fat burning. You just want to be careful that you're not eating those all day long. Well, a question that I already had from postpartum mom is that she's up a few times at night to -hmm. feed the baby. Mm -hmm. And so that effort to extend the fasting window to 12 hours, for me, it's easy. I kind of, you know, you if I go to sleep it. at 10 o'clock <laughs> and I wake up and it's almost done and I have my coffee, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Yeah. But if you're waking up at night a bunch of times, what do you do then? Well, remember, they're getting poor sleep. So they're mm-hmm. going to have all this increase in ghrelin and decrease in leptin. They're, all the signaling so is a little off. So ghrelin means more hungry. More leptin hungry. Leptin means less satisfied. Less satisfied, exactly. You're like... I read the book. If you'd like, you know, a job. You know, I have the hardcover book. I have the Kindle. I have the Audible. I'm, it's, I'm surrounded by 3D Kelly. I love it. Um, <laughs> well, and so you can't be so hard on yourself. So let's think about that. Let's think about that second shake. And it might be something where you make a big batch 
and you pour yourself a morning shake and then you take some in the afternoon and then there's a little leftover in the middle of the night and you're having some or you're going into the fridge and you're having a tablespoon of almond butter. So that's what I'm wondering. In the middle of the night, if you just have a couple of nuts or a little almond butter, is that going to, because there's no carb in there, is that going to prevent you from kind of ruining that that no, I don't. Burning. I don't. It's not going to slow us down significantly, and and it's in. If anything, it's going to keep you a little bit more balanced, so that you're feeling satisfied even in a hunger hormone disrupted state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd much rather, and I'm of the theory that it's better to add something to your plate to feel more full and satisfied than to try and hold out. Like that's why I kind of think snacks are funny, and like you're just. You're pushing off the inevitable, like eat a meal. So just have something. Already. Just eat a real meal. Like if you Get had, <laughs> if, yeah, if you had lunch at one o'clock and you're coming home and dinner's going to be at six. Like, and you get there, you get home at like five, and you're like, I have to have a snack. If you can get away with it, just eat dinner like my grandma. It doesn't matter that it's five o'clock, but we all follow these social norms of like, this is the time we eat breakfast. This is the time we eat lunch. This is the time we eat dinner. I love that you're extending your fast and you're and you have your smoothie when you're hungry, or you know when that creeps up for you. Um, there's also we have an episode of our podcast with Desi Bartlett, who talks about prenatal but also postnatal um, exercise and fitness. And she has this really wonderful way of talking about how you can start to, even when you're feeding your baby, just start breathing differently, full body breathing, getting the blood flowing and the lymphatics flowing. And then when you feel up to it, start taking five-minute walks or 10-minute walks and then combining the breathing with the walking. And, and you're not doing anything crazy. And but you, don't, you don't even have to wait for the six-week checkup you know, that yeah. most doctors ask for before you start doing things like that. So I think that combining that with eating this way um, just will probably help somebody feel physically and mentally much better than if they're, you know, spike crash crave, spike crash crave. Yeah. Especially in that postpartum period. Absolutely. All right. Um, I've taken uh, too much, but not enough of your time. (laughs) Uh, And... uh, I really appreciate all the time you spent here. Where can we find you online? So I share a lot on Instagram, and my Instagram handle is BeWellByKelly. My website is also www.BeWellByKelly.com. I push everything from Instagram to Twitter and Facebook. You can follow me there. Um, I'll probably start sharing a little bit more there. And on my website, I, I actually write for a number of different blogs and Um, wellness sites, and I will always hyperlink those articles on my blog as well. Awesome. I'm super – I don't know if anybody can tell by listening to this episode, (laughs) but I'm really grateful to you. Oh, I mean, um, I'm so grateful to you. I feel like I've sent, I sent all my pregnant friends to you already, and I've, well, we've seen each mutual. other three times. So. <laughs> it's a love fest. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm really curious to see where this journey goes, I guess, for both of us. I know. Um, but I'm loving being on it. I, I have zero exaggeration. I'm a storyteller. Sometimes we lie, make things up, and exaggerate. There's zero exaggeration here. I really was down about it, given up hope. And just reading the book got me really excited and starting the program so easy just with a shake three three days in a row uh, just made it huge changes. And now it's just it's, – it's addictive. Like I want to keep doing it more and more. And I'm thinking about all those emojis flowing through my bloodstream. Yeah. And my kids are too. They drank the Kelly Levesque Feb Ford Kool-Aid. They're on board with it totally. Well, I'm so happy that they're focusing on everything that's nourishing their little bodies. Awesome. 
at home, thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging in with us for almost 90 minutes. Uh, we appreciate you, too. If you have, and we're getting some really great suggestions for episode topics, keep sending them. We're going to explore all the different topics that you're sending. Find the best experts for it, and we'll do a podcast. Send it to info at informedpregnancy.com. I got a whole lot of questions for you This kid's gonna test my will I got a lot to learn and my baby's too <laughs> This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash.